The year is 1982. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Hello and welcome to My Marvelous Year. I'm your host, Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com. I am joined, as always, by an individual who is unknown to us all, cloaked in mystery, wearing a hoodie, can't see the visage of their face, but on their shirt they do have the words, I'm death, you idiots. <laughs> <laughs> it's Zach Dean. How's right. it going, Zach? Good. Yeah, so we're recording late at night tonight. It's another My Marvelous Year after dark. I'm all snuggled up in my robe tonight mm-hmm. um and dave's yeah, a nice snuggle this, buggle edition of yeah. my marvelous year after yeah Dark. it's good it's not uh yeah we're not we're not partying tonight we're uh we're getting nice and cozy oh oh speak for yourself okay. you don't know how i snuggle <laughs> party snuggle <laughs> disgusting um <laughs> yeah so tonight uh let, let's switch to uh kind of a more somber mood dave because just like daredevil i am racked with guilt mm-hmm. Catholic guilt, actually, which is weird because oh, I was no. I was raised Protestant, but yeah, um, it is the it is the most intense kind of guilt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's why I'm feeling it, just because it's the most guilt one can feel. I've got shame, right. uh, this like this this weight on my shoulders. I just really need to unload between you or be- before you, our audience, and God. All need to hear. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad we could start this episode with a confessional before even explaining like what the show is. Yeah, so, yeah. No, we'll get continue. we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I need to confess that this week uh-huh. I enjoyed a Stiltman issue of Marvel Comics. <laughs> I knew it. I, I knew it. I enjoyed would. it even enough that I would recommend it. I went into the Slack today and recommended that people read it. And yeah. frankly, I'm kind of baffled that you <laughs> you left it out. Uh, because we read. talking about I left it out. I added it in for this, for this MMY well, I, bonus I edition. Mean, if you did, you didn't uh, pass it along to me to update the spreadsheet. It is the one no! that is missing from the... You, f- you sent out a false idol? Okay, wow. You, to our stilt, to our stiltly believers? No, s- seriously, the, the Daredevil... So, uh, hey, we're my marvelous year. Oh, hey. We read a bunch of Marvel comics from Origin 2 today. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, we're covering part two of 1982. And one of the chunks that we read was Daredevil number 178 to 189. These are written and drawn often by Frank Miller. We have inks by Klaus Janssen throughout. We're going to talk about the whole thing because it's 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 a something. But there's an issue in the middle there that when I initially made the list, as I've explained, 186. I was not as as into Stiltman or didn't understand Stiltman the way I do now. The club has, of course, taken a fascination to this wonderful character, and he has a stunning star turn in Daredevil 186 <laughs> that should now absolutely be an issue that everyone includes well, the, the thing on their is, MMY like, journey, regardless of where you're getting your list. Also, I've I've also made it explicitly clear the whole Frank Miller Daredevil run is a must read. Right. Do well, not this, skip issues. This Daredevil list is uh you put eleven of the twelve issues from nineteen eighty two and like yeah. initially and yeah. skipped that one. So it's like I think it's pretty natural people will probably just read it anyway. I'm gonna just Yeah, uh, and if you're like that's you know, it's hypocrisy to say it's all must read, but you leave something out on the list. No, that's that's how this works. Right. Yeah, the course. game is we curate and we whittle down 
to the bare bones essentials, but with Daredevil, it becomes like the fact that there are 11 is the most of any single title that we've read in a My Marvelous Year um, selection, right? Like we basically read the entire year of Daredevil because you can't leave anything out. It's crazy. Because it's, it's a stone cold classic. Like it's like after it's, classic, after classic, yeah. after classic. But that's not where we started. We started today with the contest of champions let's get that out of the way first but before we do so i did want to say thanks to everybody over at patreon.com slash my marvelous year who makes the show possible your support and your unwavering dedication mm-hmm. to the my marvelous year journey is greatly greatly appreciated if you would like to see how you can get bonuses like your own custom hero in the my marvelous year shared universe or access to the slack channel which zach is in regularly and i am in handsomely then uh <laughs> you can go on over to patreon.com slash my marvelous year or if you like the show you can also go to itunes rate and review it helps us tremendously and as we learned I think on our live Q&A, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, somewhat recently, or as I learned, apparently I haven't been seeing any global reviews, non-US based, I guess, register separately. Yeah. So review in any country that you can do so in iTunes. It all helps us out. Thanks, yeah, everybody. We got, a, we got a nice done so or considered. a couple days ago from someone named Tug Films, and I hope that's not a dirty word, um, although they did bring up Rick Jones and Stiltman, so please keep that to yourselves um i just also want to point out this was a cool week for the slack because on the same day we got two new patrons who both both joined the slack one who said he's almost 60 and one who i think is 20 or 21 and i just kind of love the Mm -hmm. like the spread of ages that we're getting in there you know like people who are way too young to have read these at the time and people who are reading these concurrently like it's very cool the uh, yeah yeah absolutely the the comics fandom uh it spreads the gap Yep. Spreads the gap of time. All right, let's talk the contest of champions. This is Marvel's first, believe it or not, limited series event. It is three issues. It is a precursor to the much ballyhooed and hyped on this here podcast, Secret Wars, that is going to come in 1984. Yeah. It is more or less a predecessor and, and precursor to all event limited series. And also, like, I'm going to say a vast majority of superhero video games <laughs> like these three mm-hmm. issues are like every video game for a while until until gaming achieved a little bit more like narrative complexity um it's a big wild action figure mashup mm-hmm. it yep. is basically it is basically a marvel encyclopedia um which is actually kind of its best value i yeah. think yeah. Like its value is not as a story so much as it, if you were a fan or a kid in 1982, you could pick up three comics that had every character and it had in the back their origins and the issues where they debuted. That's actually a really fun idea. Mm. Um, now, in terms of how the story plays out, it's a, it's a pretty big throwaway. Um, what do you want to give the overview of sort of the why why contest? Sure, yeah. So happening? great, the grandmaster who we've seen before, he likes games, right? Like that's just his thing. He just likes playing big cosmic games. He's this cosmic. Well, entity. and even in '82, he's always like, "Do you want to play a game?" And like, but he says yeah. it in like a goofy voice, you know. So he's kind of being ironic, but also everyone there is like, "Dude, that that movie has not come out for a number of decades. Like this joke is not funny." You oh, know? was that a Saw reference? You didn't get it from my my ironic voice. Do you want to play a game? But his voice that's is classic, deep saw. and growly. It's not. Yeah, that's why you make like a funny voice. 
Oh, it's one of those. That's how you make sure that people get the references. You do a different thing. Than, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. I understand. So, like, that. if I was gonna, if I was gonna do like The Dark Knight, like Christopher Nolan, yeah. I'd be like, "Where's the girl?" <laughs> do you want to see? You know, just do you like want to know how I got these scars? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Now you're getting it. Um. Yeah. So he grabs. It starts out with like scene by scene. You know, the Fantastic Four are at some. Uh, they're at some dinner honoring them, and all of a sudden they all poof into nothingness and they vanish. The right. Let's see. The Alpha Flight. Alpha Flight's here. Pretty, pretty, pretty sweet. Pretty sick. The Alpha Flight gets Gosh, to be here. They come in. They come in so cool. You know, it is actually technically a little out of continuity. We are. Uh, or no, it's not. Actually, no. I was worried it was. I was thinking, is this year where we read Alpha Flight? But nope. that actually doesn't happen for another couple of years. It is. So I mean, it mind. doesn't. We know I them because they show up in Kenny X Men. Continuity because Alpha Flight's been disbanded at this point. I love that. Like Alpha Flight issue number one starts out with like, oh man, the team's been disbanded. That's <laughs> that's what we're gonna get to. It's like <laughs> the the team they starts barely out made being, it to their first issue. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Um. Anyway, good stuff. Good stuff. No, so, it does do. Contest Champions does do introductions of global teams and global heroes yeah. uh, weirdly well. I was asking to the point people. that re- reading this, I'm like, I I don't recognize like 35 percent of the well, characters okay, in this so comic. All, all those international heroes are introduced here. They're brand new to this. Really? Because yeah, I thought in like, the back it was a bunch of like, oh, this guy showed like, up in Marvel fanfare. Shamrock, team and Shamrock, the uh, the Irish lass who's got luck powers, and Sabra, the the Israeli cactus. Um, Arabian Night. Where where, where are you sourcing that information? People in the Slack told me. People in the Slack. All right, <laughs> credible enough for me. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> let's so, move on. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll look. I'll look it up. Anyway, they all show up. I think. Uh, I think the strengths of this are it is like it's just a little fun to see all your pals together. <laughs> like that. Yeah. That's the highest yeah. praise I can give. Is like John Romita Jr. is doing good art here. Um, I really like uh, the way that because he's drawing literally every hero in the Marvel universe. And they all look on brand, and that's pretty high praise yeah. for like that you can yeah. draw everyone here, and they all look right. Um, yeah, yeah, it looks fine. Uh, the I like the first issue gathering all the heroes pretty well. I, th- the idea could be fun, where it's just like here's all these characters, and th- they even introduce like, oh, isn't this fun? Like Beast is meeting Wendigo, right? Like the two hairy, big like hairy monster heroes are meeting each yeah. other. Um, yeah. Let's see what else happens. Uh, Wolverine. Wolverine tries to kill Black Panther several times. <laughs> right. Several times. And everyone is just oh, like, God. dude, there's, there's a few... chill. Yeah. Um, they kind of really uh, splash a bucket of ice water on my on me by drawing yeah, a direct you're... line between Moondragon and Professor X and basically being like, yeah, they, they look the same. <laughs> <laughs> like they put them side by side in a panel. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, hey, Moon Dragon. Oh, 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 oh no. <laughs> That's tough stuff, right? Right. When you realize, like, oh no, what I, does this mean for my like my fetish if, of Professor if, X? If, <laughs> the worst, the worst. You just guy. put uh, Professor um, X in a green deep V, and uh, and I've got I'm real confused. Oh, he'll he'll do it. Wait till you see we see uh, Professor X in leather. We're we're getting there, <laughs> or we're might not even read that for the club. That might be my own personal club. Anyway. Um, yeah, these stories are written by Mark Grunewald, Stephen Grant, Bill mm, Mantlo, yeah. sort of shared scripting and storytelling duties. You got John Romita Jr., as you mentioned, on art, and uh, Pablo Marcos on inks. Michelle Wolfman on colors. Yeah, like you said, it's 
it's the prototype for an event. It's the Grandmaster, and and as it's revealed by the end, Lady Death saying, "Hey, go on a hunt for these various MacGuffins that will be used." Ultimately, the Grandmaster's hope here is to bring back his brother, Elder of the Universe, the Collector, in a in a actually strange continuity nod back to the Korvac saga. Right, so there is yeah, like some strange yeah, yeah. cosmic connection here. Um, but it's I don't know, like well, the, it's what, just, I, what I was gonna say yeah, is that it's, like it's you have all this everyone. kind of stuff that's like, oh, that's fun, like. Take two heroes who, like, yeah, they would never meet. Why would they have ever met before and be like, oh, it's it's fun. I mean, it's just kind of fun to see your faves <laughs> interacting, but the writing doesn't stand up to it. It's like Beast and Wendigo meet, and it's like, oh, you're taller than I am. Sure am, but you're smaller than I am. Like, that's not what it is, but it's just, like, very dull. It's not, I don't know, they, they, it's not particularly snappy. Um, I could see this being a lot more no, fun if they no. had a, a good grasp on the character dynamics, and it was just fun to see. Like, th- there's... Well, there's a novelty to it at this point that is purely like, hey, this stuff hasn't really happened, so we can get away, you know, like, we're just we're just testing the waters here. The, the only comparison, was it Fantastic Four annual number five or something? The uh, the wedding of Reed and Sue that was kind of Three. like, the gang's Three. all here? Three, yeah. That's like the only thing I can think of that was like this. Yeah, uh, also, we get Sabra and Arabian Night clashing because, you know, they had to bring in the Israeli-Palestinian... <laughs> conflict into this comic uh listen if there's a story suited to tackle that in yep. depth <laughs> and also you know just making some uh commentary on like muslim sexism it, real real good uh nuanced stuff here <laughs> it was just like yeah contest champions is it's complex and it's subtle and it's very very nuanced and uh it's also it's mostly it's extremely forgettable like contest champions yeah. it's not good you know right? what, Reed, like i think I, we're talking somewhat no, positively because it's like uh, yeah this should be fun for Reed a kid one I honestly like issue one was kind of fun, and then during the actual sure. fights, I got bored. So, but you know what, John Romita Jr. Boring. pretty good. I think John Romita Jr. is uh, pretty good at layouts. There's a couple like really impressive pages here. He, uh, he it's has... interesting to me that you think this is good. Yeah, I uh, I think this is good. Good work. I think it's very solid. Yeah. It's a lot of work. It's definitely a lot of work. Yeah, to draw that many characters. Yeah. Um. Okay. So that is contest champions. Um. It w- is weird. That we just had our first Marvel event. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah congrats that, everybody i guess so. events are always this easy and they're always this short and we'll always talk about them no more than 10 minutes yeah, right right sure. i think that's the trend the precedent we can set here uh in the meantime let's move on to let's do spider-man next because i want to do daredevil and moon knight side by side daredevil and moon knight side by side yeah. okay I've, specific I've just, request we'll just have works. some comparisons to make i think we can get spider-man out of the way um that's let's get that spider-man out of the way you I know who like... spider-man couldn't get out of the way he could not get the juggernaut out of his way. This is the classic Amazing Spider-Man number 229 to 230. Nothing stops the juggernaut. Roger Stern writing John Romita Jr. again mm-hmm. on art. Yep. And these issues, they're great. <laughs> my favorite Spidey stories we've read in a good long while. But more importantly, yep. they're probably my favorite juggernaut stories this side of whatever it is, Uncanny 11, I think, when he's the, the menace coming at the I mean, mansion. I... Yeah, I love those issues. I think this uh, is like <laughs> the same exact premise, uh, but done even a little better. Like I liked it more here. I felt think it was mm-hmm. a little tighter. Um, yeah, there's more to it, like as well. Yeah, so Black Tom Cassidy kind of puts Juggernaut on the task of walking across Manhattan. It's got five miles of Manhattan to walk through. 
to go. Well, kid- does kidnap. he or does he say, hey, we're about to dock? And Juggernaut says, nah, can't wait anymore. Mm-hmm. Jumps yeah. <laughs> off the boat and then proceeds to walk under the Atlantic Ocean bed, to yeah. New York because pretty he's cool. impatient. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, no, but then he, he gets up on uh, onto the street, like on the pier, and he's just like, all right, got to walk up this street for five miles. Like they specifically say that, I think, too you know, let it sound reasonable that Spider-Man has time to get there. And there's like, you know, a clicking talk, a clicking talk, a ticking clock. Um, You know, given that the Rhino once ran from uh, Mexico to New York City to do battle with (laughs) Spider-Man, five miles is pretty weak, (laughs) pretty weak sauce game, Marco. You know, I do have to give, I do have to give a shout here too, to Juggernaut for the least um, he takes the path of most resistance yeah. anywhere he goes. Yeah, yeah. I was just right? thinking. So, like, so he he's in New York City, ridden in a van up to the front door and gotten out. <laughs> right, like <laughs> yeah. So he's trying to find Madam Web. Right. Yeah. So they're like, we need to capture Madam Web. She's she's got precognitive abilities. Word on the street is, and if we we Black Tom Cassidy wants to bring her onto their team so they can have a you know an unstoppable criminal enterprise. Juggernaut could call zero attention to himself. Not his style. Instead, he. Just the wake of destruction in his path is every car, every street sign. You know, at this point, he's doubling back to wreck things that he missed the first <laughs> time around. It is definitely the slowest possible way to get to Madam Web, which is good for her because she has a vision that says Juggernaut's going to come and he's going to kill her. Um, So she calls Peter Parker, who she knows to be the Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, I think that's interesting. She just keeps like calling him like at first at his apartment and then... Is like, something's coming, I don't know what it is, I'll call you when I have more info. And then he's at his job at the Daily Bugle, and the phone rings for him. It's her, like, she just knows where he is. Um, She's, like, such an interesting mystery at this point. I'm very interested in finding out I always like the Madam Web mystery. She's in this apartment with, like, all this crazy technology hooked into her, as we learn by the end of Amazing 229, when she is removed from all of that tech, she is basically put on... She turns into Aunt May, basically. She yeah, and she even looks like her. You're right, yeah. um, but she just you know she just cannot go on past that point, so she's rushed to a hospital room. Um, Peter spends most of two thirty thinking you know she's probably going to die because of what Juggernaut did. Juggernaut, it, we should mention also when he tears her out of that thing, Spider Man's like, "You idiot! You just killed her." And Juggernaut, Juggernaut's response to that is, "Ah, oh, she's no good anyway." Tosses her aside and leaves yep. after all of that. Like it is, it is boneheaded, boneheaded, uh, evil Kane Marco kind of at his best. <laughs> like it's like simultaneously goofy, but like, it, like, I don't know. It's not that red skull level of evil, yeah, but it's no, an it's evil just, thing clearly. Yeah, yeah sure. I, so, I mean, the, the, the thrust of these two issues is that Peter Parker's just trying to stop him at first and then kind of, uh, punish him after he hurts Madam Webb. And it's just yeah, so two, 229 is of, all, how do I stop him? Right. And, and 230 can't. is, he can't, I can't let him hurt anyone else yep. because now, like Uncle Ben, like Gwen, Madam Webb's on my conscience and it's my responsibility to stop the juggernaut. So it really fits in to everything that makes Spider-Man good, you know, in the span of just two issues. Yeah. Um, but it also leads to, it, it's an amazing two issues of Peter trying absolutely everything, such as calling the Fantastic Four calling the Avengers like he tries to get other people to handle this problem because he knows he can't do it and yeah. I really like that um and then he keeps fighting anyway of course yeah it um it just leans into Juggernaut's physicality and it's just like here's one set of powers we're gonna spend two issues 
watching him bang his head against this one problem, right? Like, I think mm-hmm. it's easy to kind of relegate different heroes to, like, the background or different villains or whatever. So that, like, you know, the X-Men are fighting five or six different villains, and then it kind of feels like none of them are particularly a real threat or don't feel that grounded, you know? And this, like, you just get a real sense of Juggernaut and what he's like and what he can do. You know, like, because he, we just spend all this time, like, throwing obstacles at him. <laughs> like, Spider-Man just climbs on his back and is just, like, pounding on his head and just can't. He, he's like a little kid, like a toddler who grabs onto an adult's leg and just is, like, punching it. It's completely ineffectual. Um, yeah, and it's not even just, like, Spider-Man's inability to do anything physically to the Juggernaut. Like, he, <laughs> at, at various points, like, he is shot a bunch and mm-hmm. that does absolutely nothing a building falls on his head <laughs> that does absolutely nothing like it's this it's this almost comical escalation of ways yeah. of of trying to stop the juggernaut um and just abs- like he is I, beyond indestructible in a way that like i don't know I, there there are older issues we've seen i think in the 70s in particular like he fights the hulk and if the hulk hits him like it's not like the juggernaut doesn't feel anything you know um but in this issue it's that's like the effect is is as if almost like it's like he's invincible i guess you know sure. well i mean because i think it feels modulated to spider-man in his powers because spider-man's not the hulk yeah he's not even really captain america right like he's i don't know let's let's talk about power levels let's quantify these power yes. levels dave yes please let's get out the charts um uh, no but so these are great i yeah. love them yeah, very they're fun. super fun uh there is they do weave in even with all of that, like pretty good Daily Bugle and Spider-Man side stories, um, yeah. you get, for example, like Betty Brant returns to the scene. She's trying to work through her marital struggles with Ned Leeds, who we all know from Spider-Man movies. <laughs> and uh, she, uh, last time Peter saw her, he was a jerk because she was, uh, you know, probably to make sure she never falls for me or whatever his exactly. rationale is, yeah, the typical Peter was. Parker yeah. stuff. And uh, and they they reconcile and start or begin to move towards a friendship that I actually really like. Um, so and there's a bunch of other cool. stuff too with the Spider-Man supporting cast. If you're interested in this time period, yeah. And he finally stops Juggernaut by like tricking him into walking into like um, wet concrete that's being poured for a foundation of a building, which yeah. I really like. You know, like I feel like we've talked about this before, where initially the X-Men stop him by they strip off his helmet. And then Professor X can get at his brain, right? And in this one, Juggernaut's like, I welded it on. <laughs> like, you're not getting it off, right? Like, you can't. There's no weak point on me. And it does. Which is like the perfect meathead response. You know, like, like it's <laughs> just like, hey, costume. what was the problem last time? I'm just going to weld this on. Yeah. So he like, he sleeps in it, you know? Yeah. I, I It just does a good job of being like, he's really unstoppable. You feel absolutely helpless or hopeless for Spider-Man. And then he finds yeah. something that feels like, Oh, that would stop him. Okay, that makes sense. Like, he outwits him. It doesn't feel like a deus ex machina. It doesn't feel like some cheat. Like, we've seen with the impossible man. We're just like, he's all powerful. And then how do we defeat him? Well, the Watcher will just show up and do it. That kind of thing. Yeah, you know, it, right. didn't, it didn't feel like some cheat. It felt uh, like a pretty well-earned victory, which made it very satisfying. So, yeah, fun to and And it also made it very sad when Black Tom Cassidy... Has no juggernaut coming home to him. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're a little kind of horrifying, like, right? Fairly like, homoerotic uh, friendship. I think it's fairly. I don't like. Oh wow! Listen, I just... It's uh, it's very subtextual, but I feel like mm-hmm. in these two issues, especially, like they're very close. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, 
regardless of how you want to see that relationship, Black Tom's real sad <laughs> that Juggernaut's <laughs> well, not coming back It to is him. kind of horrifying that uh, he sinks him into concrete that's being poured for a foundation of a building. And it's just like, yeah, he's going to sink down 40 feet into wet concrete. And he won't be able to escape. You know, I was like, thinking... Does he need to breathe? Because... I think well, so I was thinking exactly that, and I think they were careful in 229 to show him underwater for that exact reason. Because Juggernaut, so they show him breathing underwater, and before he's going down, he's like, I don't need air, this won't stop me. So they, they are careful <laughs> okay. to make that slightly less horrifying, because yeah, I had the same thought, which was like, oh, this is this is a living death. <laughs> <laughs> for Kane Marco. Oh, you know, uh, not Spider-Man. That wasn't asking just, for it. Just a second. So in Amazing Spider-Man 629, it is revealed that it takes him over a month to dig his way out. <laughs> just want to point that out. So we got a few few issues to go yep. before we get back to that one, huh? Um, yeah. So want to jump into Daredevil? Your transitions, I got to say, not as hot as mine. Uh, not okay. as fire. Um, speaking of transitions, how about that Daredevil? Oh, you had a perfect one. What was it? Digging your way out. You could have made that into speaking something. Of, d- speaking of digging, Daredevil does... <laughs> Daredevil digs, loves mole documentaries. Daredevil <laughs> digs through the air, a.k.a. climbing. That is, so many people refer to climbing <laughs> as, as the digging. digging of the air. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, that's common. I love it. Yeah. All right, Daredevil 178 to uh, whatever the heck the rest of the year is, 189. Yep. Frank Miller, Klaus Jansen. You do get Roger McKenzie. Showing back up at one point to script an issue, which is a nice touch. He started out as the uh, the writer while Frank was getting his artistic bearings. And Zach, as we said at the top of the show, classic after classic after classic. Every issue, it, the best thing to me about this run, which I loved. I already knew I loved. Mm-hmm. I've read it before. Reading it again, I, I'm kind of solidifying what I already thought in my head was true, which is I think I like Frank Miller's Daredevil more than I like his Batman. Um, and this this section of comics in particular, I guess it's because he has the longer run on it. You know, like his Batman, he does the Dark Knight Returns mini or yeah. limited series, you know, prestige format thing. And then he does or he did uh, Batman Year One, but that's only like four issues, you know. So it's like it's just more spread out. It's less it, like a, an extended run like this. Each issue here, maybe not every issue, but a vast majority of them, they take like different POV characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We talked about... um. Part of the appeal of John Byrne's Fantastic Four, kind of that bottle episode vibe. Miller's Daredevil captures that and then some, but it's also like it's so clearly part of a cohesive, connected whole. Yeah, right. Taking different POV characters issue to issue, we get a Ben Urich story. It's great. Uh, we get an Electra so story. It's great. We get a Bullseye story. It's great. We, we get, get Foggy, Foggy Guts Nelson. Nelson. I love, oh, I love so that the, the title of that issue is just called Guts. And, uh, Guts is one of my favorite comics of all time. It's very good. No joke. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. I, I absolutely mean, love it. I think this year of Daredevil is my favorite thing that we've ever read. Like, I think this is the best, sto- best story. It is, right? And yeah. Yeah, I, it's just, it's incredible. Um, put it up against Dark Phoenix Saga. Put it up against any of Starlin's Thanos I think it stuff. Just put it up against uh, Panther's Rage. For me. Dark Phoenix Saga is close, but this just, just edges it up. Because I think, like, beyond being really fun, and beyond being really well written, he's doing stuff that's way ahead of its time in a way that Dark Phoenix Saga is to a degree. But like, plop this into 2020, you know, without like knowing that this is, you know, that old. I I think this works as a modern comic. Like the techniques he's using feel absolutely modern. Like this goes down so yeah. easy. Uh, the like, uh, so I read. Uh, I I have the the omnibus with like every issue he wrote here. And uh, and I was reading it has like a ten page interview in the back. 
Huh? I said hashtag Omnibrag. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, big Omni boy. Um, as a big 10-page <laughs> interview at the end, and uh, he, yeah, he talks a lot about his influences and stuff, and it's like... Listening to him talk he about being it. Miller, I imagine. Yes, yeah. Miller and Jansen together were doing this interview. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff there I want to get into. But just the fact that he thinks about this, he thinks about comics in a way that I feel like a lot of people at Marvel don't. I feel like for a lot of creators at Marvel. Well, like now or like compared to the era? Compared to the era. Yeah. Um, takes it seriously in a way that a lot of people don't. I think there was a lot of writers and artists, even at Marvel at the time, who still felt like they were doing kid stuff. Who felt like they were, mm-hmm. yeah, this is fine. Like, I, I like what I'm doing, but, you know, I'm not making, like, high art or anything. I'm making, you know, it's uh, guys in tights punching each other, right? Like, it's, it's what I'm yeah. doing. He's, you know, he's talking about it like he's, um, let's see, he, he's, you know, using film. Clearly, that that's his big inspiration here. He's trying to use inspiration from film. Uh, he talks about like expressionist, old black and white expressionist films, and he's talking about using um, oh my god, Orson Welles and uh, Fritz Lang, right? His big inspirations. He wants to you know kind of like weave in this expressionist style into his comic. Also, Klaus Janson. Uh, I think a huge part of why this works so well is because they are so simpatico in their goals here like they are just so aligned in a way that didn't feel forced at all sometimes we've had those interesting duels or um duos where it's like stanley and steve ditko they're doing great work together they hate each other they're not talking (laughs) right right. here it's one of these things where like they you get the idea that they barely need to talk because they just understand what they're doing like they just both are in such lockstep about Mm -hmm. like what this i don't know like it, it sounded like frank miller put very few demands on Klaus Janssen and like barely suggested stuff and kind of just let him ran. It's just one of these like, you know, magical um, lightning in a bottle where you you get two talents together that work so well together. Yeah. And I definitely underrated Janssen, I think on the first read through kind of like not really just a a lack of understanding that is, that is growing all the time. Mm -hmm. It's still not where it probably needs to be, but like just of how comics are made, you know, like, you know, so Jansen gets the secondary credit. It's, it's, it's everyone saying, Oh, it's Frank Miller's daredevil. Um, but as the anchor and the colorist and occasional penciler Mm -hmm. or like finishes, like it's the art is, is extremely on, on Jansen, right? Like the contributions can't be like understated. There was stuff I was reading in an interview that I was like, I wish I'd read this beforehand. So I would have appreciated what he was doing a little more. Um, cause he's sure. talking about like the way that daredevil, um, he colors him differently depending on the scene, right? Like when he's trying to be threatening, he colors him with like red, but all these like dark blacks and all the shadows coming mm-hmm. in on daredevil when he's daredevil being playful, he goes for the, the bright reds and he gets rid of all the shadows. Like, I mean, that, that seems like simple stuff, but like, he's just, he's putting so much thought in how to use coloring to express the emotions of the scene. Um, yeah. Yeah, so cool. I mean, there, there's so many interesting choices. Well, I'd here. forgotten that Daredevil number 185, Guts, that's that's penciled by Jansen, too. Oh, is Straight it? Up. I, didn't, I didn't notice that. Like, okay. Miller, does, that's not even a co-penciling. That's just Jansen pencils, inks, colors. So, like... Oh, wow, he's it, really he's, emulating that he's style. He's really well, in it. Because I didn't yeah. notice, yeah. Yeah, right. And you can read it and, and not be like, oh, who is this artist? For sure. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the way that they... It, and they use this word, and I think it's totally right, like, that they're using this expressionistic style of, like, just, you know, suggesting suggesting these like places specifically places i think is a huge part of this with their instead of drawing like very detailed you know realistic um settings so the city you know skyscrapers look like they're 300 feet tall 
often. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes it's just a series of squares in the background suggesting skyscrapers, right? Um, it, you know, it's a suggestion of a certain type of New York. Speaking of which, uh, Frank Miller talks about a New York state of mind. He's like, New York's not a place, it's a state of mind. Which, is that a mm -hmm. phrase? Was that a phrase before uh, the song? Is that, well, was that a reference? I mean, I'm pretty confident that Jay-Z, Alicia Keys, and Kanye thought of that. Right, well, that, they were that, probably the first people to ever use state of mind. No, no, a, but a New York state <laughs> what, of what mind. What are you talking about? Like New York state Wasn't of mind. That, isn't that like a Frank Sinatra song? It's a Billy Joel song from 76. Never mind. Okay. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, but like, the boys King, talk culture. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know anything about <laughs> Billy Joel. Um, sure you do. Did you say Jay-Z? Yeah, and Alicia Keys. Isn't it? A, it's a... Nas, not Nas song. I always call him, call him Nas. Nas? <laughs> it's Nas. Nasty Nas. Yeah, Nas song. Okay, this is one of our finer segments. Yeah, we know we know things. Um, Kingpin's office. Did you did you notice this? It's always just pitch black, right? Like his office is just a black void with a desk in the middle of it every time. Hang on, what you are right. New York State of Mind is a Nas song. It's the first song on Omatic. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he doesn't sleep because sleep is the cousin of death. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that, so what am I thinking of? I have no idea what you're thinking. What's of. the Alicia Keys one? I don't know. I don't, she's all like, I don't know what "Come to New York, it'll be it'll be real fun." <laughs> is that how she does it too? I think those really are lyrics. Carried the melody there. Yeah. Uh, Empire State of Mind. Uh, right. Okay. I have no idea. Maybe I don't know that song. Gosh, this is what everybody comes here for. This is insufferable. When we just start talking music. I talked about Kingpin's music. Office. We don't know about especially. Okay. Are you, are you paying attention? Kingpin's office, just in a inky black void, which is, I think, such an incredible touch, right? Like, it just, he's, he just is in his own universe here, right? And every time we cut to him, it's just like, you know, I, I, I don't know, it, it completely segregates him from the rest of the city. He's just like completely separate from it. And in this very intimidating space that he fills up. I don't want to single out Alicia specifically, Jesus but Christ. doesn't it seem like Please in the Kingpin's the office, face. he would have a piano player? Like he would have like a a known musician no. playing some sort of jazzy background. Doesn't that seem like the sort of thing he'd be into? Not here. He's got wealth. He's got power. No, no. no you know what? Actually, like here. okay, I don't think no. Alicia would do it. Billy Joel though. I think Billy Joel would play the Kingpin Suite on a, on the dime. I don't think at all. No, for a dime. Kingpin does not does not read as like a sensualist here in uh, in Miller's world. Like he doesn't look like a man of like extravagant tastes, right? Like he just sits. That's what I'm saying. Like he's specifically like. Kingpin is just no art this. on the walls. Yeah, yeah, right. just just exactly. all like, black. No, yeah. none of that decadent stuff. You know, I wonder if that gets worked in a little later, or if that's coming back more to the um, the '60s Spidey days. Because definitely, when I think of Kingpin, it is that appreciation and love for the finer things. Yeah, that, I mean, that's in the the, the or at least that, first season of the Netflix the show, right? Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. It's on TV. Um, I do love how massive Miller begins drawing Kingpin as yep. well. That yep. definitely stands out quite nicely. I, I think I another thing that I love with Kingpin here is his presence is felt throughout the entirety of this. Yeah, it is not overdone. He yeah. he yeah, yeah. is frequently not the main antagonist in these issues, even though we know he always is. Right, like it's just it is that looming shadow over Daredevil and over New York. That is really I mean, he, effective, and it all builds boss, to right? confrontations. So, like, his fingers are all in all the pies. Whether or not he's the main thrust of something, he's probably involved on some level, right? So, like sometimes Daredevil that's a, just that's a low by. blow calling him out for eating three okay, Marie calendars well, in one sitting. That is low on, blow. That is on you. I did not make that joke. We're the, better than that. I mean, Daredevil just swing by to get information from him because he's like, you must know because you know everything in this city like crime doesn't happen in the city without your awareness um 
Yeah, all that stuff is great. Um, let's see what else. Frank Miller doesn't particularly like comic book fans. <laughs> um, he talked about how like comic book fans uh, kind of like nice, easy stories that are like comfort food. And that's really not what he's going for here. You know, he wants yeah. to like make them uncomfortable. He wants to make them feel the violence, which I think is very successful here. Um, like the the repercussions of violence are very much felt. The fight scene between Elektra and Daredevil, not to mention the fight scene between Daredevil and Elektra or uh, Bullseye and Elektra, but like the one ending with Elektra trapping him his ankle in a bear trap, and then yeah, that's uh, pretty brutal. Throwing her sigh through Ben Urich, like piercing him. Frank Miller loves that trick of somebody getting stabbed all the way through impaled and then the point like pointing through their shirt in the back like i mean that's why you bring the size to the ball game is just so you can have shot after shot of somebody getting side through their shirt but with like no blood (laughs) i wonder yeah right i wonder if uh frank miller is personally responsible for like a whole generation of teens thinking that size are used for stabbing because they're not oh i mean literally yes i mean so from this and also this is where Raphael. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle is going to get his size. Right. Like, that is why that is the thing. Is he right? Teenage Mutant Turtle them? starts as a parody of Daredevil. Does Raphael stab people in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Yeah, or does he just smack them? <laughs> Generally not. Okay. <laughs> well, I don't know. Is, I mean, isn't that old? I don't know how the TMNTs handle violence uh, these days, but in my youth, yeah. it was still more or less all ages. Hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, Electra is pretty incredible here. She, I feel like I've completely undervalued here her all these years. Um, and not you know what like... I don't like though. Still, so it, these comics are the. This is the big famous, famous, famous. And spoilers here if you somehow are listening this far and don't want to be spoiled. Jump ahead a minute. Uh, Bullseye kills Lecture. Right, yeah. it's the big famous Bullseye stabs Lecture with her own side scene, and that obviously sets off, um, you know, a lot. <laughs> sets off the hand working to ultimately resurrect Elektra. It really changes her as a character. It sets off Daredevil hunting down Bullseye and putting him in a, a full body cast, even though that I mean, mostly it, happened I mean, anyway. It, it sets off Matt uh, showing the first time that Matt Murdock can have kind of a fragile state of mind and have like a splintered perception of reality, which shows I think that is... he clearly loved Elektra. Yeah. Um, and it really, really sort of breaks him. Um, yeah, psychologically in a lot of ways. Like he, but, you know, one thing I don't like about that, so Elektra's very cool in these comics. And, oh, like, yeah. when she shows up as a kingpin for the assassin, kind of just taking on hired work as a kingpin for the assassin, interesting, as an assassin for the kingpin, um, she she beats Matt's butt pretty consistently mm-hmm. in these comics. Yeah. But then when she's fighting Bullseye, she is taken by surprise, so I'll give it that. But then it's a brutal fight, and it's like they, they each get theirs, but Bullseye kills her, right? Bullseye wins. Whereas every time Daredevil fights Bullseye, he whoops his butt. The transitive now, properties of punching is what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, right. I am talking about the famous, famous Miller-Jansen law transitive property of punching. Mm-hmm. There is an argument to be made that like, oh, maybe they have different styles. And <laughs> Daredevil style, you know, like if you're, if you're putting Daredevil's class against Bullseye's class, right? Like uh-huh. he wins, but you know, yada, yada. Um, I, I don't. I don't love, it's not even like getting into the fridging thing about like we have one female character and she's the one who dies, although certainly there are arguments we've made there and I'm, I know they've been made, um, but it's more just like I don't see Daredevil having such an quote unquote easy time with Bullseye and Elektra losing so badly. 
the way she's been portrayed so far, like as a I mean, Daredevil does not have an easy time with Bullseye. The fight between the two of them is like one of the most like knockdown drag out fights we've seen. That literally like they go rolling. But he out always of buildings, beats up Bullseye like, down. He always know. beats him very badly. Yeah, yeah, that's it, in the end. Yeah. In the end, yeah. you know what I mean. There's uh, definitely oh, something to that. Did Daredevil try to kill Bullseye here? Because it kind of seemed like it. Like, he's dangling from a wire, and he's just like, I won't let you... Dare- Bullseye does not want to be saved by him. It kind of ends with, like, Daredevil's hanging from this wire up above the city. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. holding onto Bullseye's wrist, and Bullseye's like, no, not again. I won't let you save my life again. And Daredevil's like, I won't, or I'm not going to, and, like, drops him. And he goes into a full body cast. I thought Bullseye cut the rope no 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 i like paid attention to it it, it i mean cause yeah. daredevil is holding onto his wrist and then it cuts to a shot of daredevil's open hand and like he just drops him which saying don't worry about it not gonna save you this time yeah i mean i don't i don't think there's any way to say he didn't try to kill him then yeah, right he pretty, happened uh, not to nuts, yeah. but it, you don't <laughs> i mean as good at daredevil is at uh predicting and I sensing mean, he, things. He apparently like, breaks his spine and like paralyzes him, right? Like you talked. But I'm about saying that is a precise drop. You're right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't think he has that capability. I mean, oh, can we talk about that electric? There's one page here that's going down into like all-time favorite pages of Marvel Comics, which is when Ben Urich goes to talk to some kingpin informant in a movie theater. He goes the to like theater, get information, yeah. and there's this page. I where... think that was Tug Film. I think he was talking to a tug film. They were they were watching a tug film, yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> just two men watching a tug film together. Um, God, I lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah, so, like, Electro, it, it, the guy's just talking, and he's like, if I, you know, Kinping finds out I'm here, I'm toast. Next panel, you just see that classic, like, tent popping out of his chest, of his shirt tenting out, <laughs> which clearly means there's a sigh under there. Mm-hmm. And then next mm-hmm. panel of Ben Urich's eyes just getting big, like getting drawn down. And then he zooms in on his eyes. It is so effective. It just like, I think literally five or six times reading all these comics, I went, oh, f- that's cool. <laughs> like there, there's no way of reading this. It just that I, I literally out loud just had to like express like, man, that's cool. Like he just yeah. has such a knack for, he also talked about in this interview, he just goes to see a lot of action movies and martial arts movies. And he's like, every time I walk out of them, I'm just like, yeah, there's four or five things I'm going to steal and put in my comic. Like that move, that one little like set piece, that thing, I'm just going to take that and integrate it in. Like he just has. But such... it is, it, it, there's the details. Sure. But it like the big picture structure yeah. and mapping all this together is is so incredible. Oh, I, sure. I had a similar I, I, experience I'm talking of about putting like, it all together where the, I'm like... On the action level, I think like... No, I know. He, and, but I'm saying that. that's like... That could be an issue-to-issue issue sort of treat. Yeah. But every everything about these issues, it just like... It all pairs so well together. It yeah. all builds. Um, So much happens yeah. in this single yeah. year of story. I mean, like, you know, okay, we said Electra obviously has a big presence here, but like Electra's arc in this begins as... She comes back and, you know, she's working as an assassin now and kind of rekindles things with Matt a little, even though they can't be together. She then joins up with the Kingpin, just Mm -hmm. like, yeah, sure, I'll take this work. I've proven myself. She works for the Kingpin for a minute, is effective. Then Bullseye goes out to prove his name again, kills her. Then she's... The prison break... No, okay, well, you're spoiling something because she's not... Yeah, she is. What are you talking about? Not this year. How far did we read? Not... I didn't... Oh, we didn't read... (laughs) (laughs) Well, issue number 190 is called so i don't feel that bad and we're gonna read it in uh 83 yeah okay yeah that's that's where it ended was like next issue yeah. I'll, I'll i'll beep it out um oh can we just i mean also talk about that daredevil uh daredevil that bullseye prison escape so good that prison escape sequence is you know so my incredible. favorite my favorite detail of that though 
is that he is, spits a pill. He he spits his well, meds yes. into the prison guard's eye to disarm him. Yes, like, it's good. It's it's great. Bullseye action. Oh, no, my favorite God. detail is before he does that. What sets it off? Frank Castle shows up in prison, the Punisher, and he tells Bullseye, "Hey, I heard uh, Kingpin's got a new assassin now, or something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I bet you have plans to break out of here." And Bullseye's like, what? No, I didn't. Why would you tell me that? And Frank's like, maybe I want to see you try and get yourself killed. It's awesome. Um, also, yeah. the Punisher's around, and then like it's, and then that builds, just that little moment, builds to the classic Daredevil versus Punisher type stories yeah. that are coming yeah, yeah. down the where, road. Where Daredevil it's, just oh, shoots man. him in the, the, the shoulder. Yeah, There's so much yeah, to this. Th- like, every great. good Daredevil thing happens this year and next. Yeah, I mean, you, you <laughs> like feel like everything. this is just establishing... I mean, it is. This is establishing Daredevil from now on. Right. Like we've seen a lot of Daredevil. Um, None of that sticks. <laughs> right. Like basically everything before this feels superfluous to what now, Daredevil. See, that, that's not totally true, because even even within Miller's work, you know, like Black Widow shows up towards the end of this. Right. Sure. Like, but, that's a yeah, that's yeah. Bronze Age Daredevil and Black Widow comics. Yeah. It's drawing yeah. on that legacy. Um, and, and some of the Silver Age fun will certainly get worked back in. In, uh, well, in know, modern books like, that are trying to get think a, about outside Daredevil, of the tone like, of Miller. When you see the movies, the show, when you read like the best arcs of Daredevil now, they are still all mirroring and echoing this, right? The same way that like Claremont just was like, this is X-Men. I found like the core of this character in this this comic. You feel like that here. Because I mean, like we've there's, some... a, there's a lot of that, but there's also a backlash to that where the most popular Daredevil run of the 2010s mm-hmm. is very clearly not frank miller's yeah i guess it has to step outside that shadow eventually yeah 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 i'm sure yeah i haven't haven't read that much past like early 2000s i guess um but i feel like you could read daredevil number one and then jump to frank miller's work and basically kind of have your fill of what like oh i don't i don't think even read daredevil number one Oh, because i think no because i think that's good work like i think the the origin here no it's not a it's not a commentary on the the quality it's just why why you don't need it Oh, I mean, I just think like for the stuff. They recap that is the origin, establishing important information about Daredevil. It's Stanley did a good job immediately, <laughs> and then jump. Uh, I I also loved in this interview that Frank Miller basically just was like, "Yeah, I never really liked Daredevil. Never wanted to write him. Like, was he's not my guy." <laughs> He was like, I feel like that's often true he, he of some of the do, better runs. He yeah. wanted to do Spider-Man. Spider-Man was like, he loved Spider-Man growing up. He loves Steve Ditko, has like tons of admiration for Steve Ditko, um, and like really wanted to work on Spider-Man. And then he got Daredevil and he was like, yeah, okay, uh, it's just not going to be what's come before. And he, he, he likes some runs. There are some runs of Daredevil he talks about, but like, it was funny because the interview was ask, interviewer was asking him like, oh, what do you think about, you know, this guy's time on it, this guy's time with it? And it was time after time him just being like, yeah, I never read that. Yeah, I skipped that one. I skipped that like those five years of Daredevil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like him just being yeah. like, I read a few. It wasn't for me. Uh, Fair s- enough. All right. You wanted to compare this to Moon Knight. Th- well, there, What th- in particular did you want to compare? There's, let me see. I think there's a couple other things I want to mention. Something well, I, think, I don't want you to mention them. Something I think that <laughs> isn't that clear for my transition. Yeah, no, sorry. This is Daredevil. We gotta, we gotta. Something no, I think he's. We doing. really don't. I think we're good. We're at forty. It's minutes. clearly great. All right, hit me with this hot, hot tip. Something that he is doing here that I think is some of the better comics do is he's clearly bringing in like Frank Miller is someone who is interested in the world, right? Like you can sense the passion and energy that they have for things besides superhero comics, which I think some of the best comics do, where they are not just reflective of themselves, right? Like, this is not just like, I'm a guy who loves superhero comics, and I'm just writing superhero comics like the ones I grew up loving. He's just like, I love superhero comics, 
and I'm folding in my love for film and martial arts movies, and I'm folding in my love for, um, you know, like psychology and father issues <laughs> and like the, you know, like all, all my interests kind of get folded into this in a way that I just don't see in a lot of other comic creators at the time or even today often. It kind of feels like, you know, you're writing comics for... I don't know, to build on the back of comics instead of it bringing in the rest of the world into it, you know? And I think that that is what makes this stand out. Because, like, he likes ninjas, right? He's, like, way into ninjas. And it's not just this kind of surface level, like, oh, what's this issue? Dinosaurs, ninjas, yetis, whatever. Kind of throw everything against the wall. Like, he's invested in that one thing and he's going to dive deep into it. Like, this is clearly a passion of his. It definitely depends on the creator. Um, I think I would push back on the idea of Miller being super unique. In that regard, I mean Jack, I think, Jack I think Kirby's another been... guy who stands out like that to me. Like Jack Kirby clearly has his interests; he's got things that he's interested in talking about and telling and focusing on storytelling. But there, are, I, I think uh, most of the creators that stand out do, <laughs> right? Yeah, sure. But like that, I mean, I think that's what just like separates a lot of great comics from you know kind of average okay comics. Yeah, he's bringing a lot of influences here that that absolutely stand out and that will that are influential not just in Daredevil. But kind of in comics moving forward. Um, yep. and, and we're going to see some of that work even in the, the Wolverine miniseries that we're going to read in part three yeah. of this as well. I got so bummed out like that he only did, I think, like 33 issues of this, which is not a short run. I mean, that's almost three years. I mean, it's it's not inconsequential at yeah, all. That's, no, no. Uh, it's a whole lot of Daredevil. It's enough, but it's also just like... I could have, I could have used six. Like I read all these, I read all 12 of these last night. I could sit down and read the whole thing again. Like swear to God, like I could just read them again right now and enjoy it just as much. Cause like, it's just so good. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm actually going to be curious now having read these again and seeing how great they are again. Like, is there a year of that a series is going to have that can top this? Yeah. Um, as, as a there's a lot of comics series, I like, it, it is but hard a whole to year. That is that is so much good stuff because like obviously we talk and I won't even go into the specifics here. We've talked about the runs that are coming, the ones we're excited about. Yeah. But like just just to hit issue after issue like this, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure I position the reading club that way, um, which doesn't mean there isn't an answer. But we will see. One hundred percent. All twelve issues are all killer. Like there. I guess I'm talking about this decade. I can think of some in the modern context where that's definitely true. Yeah. Um, although even then it's like, it's a debate. It's not, yeah. I mean, alpha flight, it's not um, alpha flight is something like, you know, 90 issues of perfection, but I, I mean, I haven't read, <laughs> you're giving, you're giving the first 90 of perfection. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. I haven't even read past like issue 15 or something. So I was going to say, I'd yeah. be surprised if you made it to uh, two, 1992. Two more things about Daredevil. That. Uh, there's some security guards chit chatting and one of them's talking about Electra and he says that she's got legs all the way up to her neck, which is a horrifying, uh, like Lovecraftian. <laughs> concoction of a, a human being with just legs. It sounds like a Jim Starlin cosmic judge. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or I, actually no, isn't that a Toy Story? Um oh, one of the, the that's misfits. Exactly that. Yeah, right. There's the, yeah. the the head walking is it a head or like some weird toy with long lady legs? It might be a troll with super long Barbie legs or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. All I know is that when I saw it, even as like a six year old in theaters, you were like Ooh. I was getting hot. <laughs> It, uh, it reminded me of things were getting forty steamy. year old virgin. There's a scene where uh, Steve Carell is being accused of like writing all these really nasty comments about women, and he's covering for mm-hmm. a coworker, and the coworker's girlfriend's uh, confronting him. And one of the cards is just like she's just like, "You wrote here that this woman has ass up from the calves up." 
<laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> yep. Um, okay. So, and then the other thing I wanted to mention is uh, Stiltman. We got to talk about Stiltman. I like it because he's humiliated here. <laughs> Uh, I mean, something that Miller said is that, like, what the, the interviewer actually literally said, so it seems like you're not interested in Daredevil's, like, rogues gallery, and Frank Miller's like, no, not really. Like, I'm interested in, you know, like, threats that are proportional to Daredevil. And he's like, <laughs> the interviewer's like, so you don't bring in people like uh, Jester or Leapfrog or, God forbid, the Stilt Man. <laughs> How dare he. Yeah. Um, but I think it really works here because he makes Wilbur Day kind of this, like, schlubby... Uh, you know, like ground level villain who's just like, I, I need to get my legs back because I got to get tall again. He's, he's got a weird complex about being short, you can tell. Like he wants to be tall and he's craving being tall again, mm -hmm. which I think is very fun. Uh, and then also Turk just like bonks him on the head with a pipe and steals the legs himself. The yeah, fact Turk that stealing the stilts is it, so and funny. Turk being obviously the good for nothing sort of like criminal henchman who's just always in the way. Kingpin declares him an idiot in this issue specifically, <laughs> yeah. and that is clearly the, you know, his MO. But him stealing the stilts and thinking, I'm a supervillain baby, I can go to town, <laughs> yeah. is, it's perfect. It's like, it's it's a really, I mean, it's a comedy issue yeah. um, within this series, which is, I think, a, a thing that, based on his reputation as a creator, Frank Miller, you would not realize, like, yeah, he knocked out Guts in a Stiltman issue back-to-back, -back, and they're both really funny and really exciting yeah, at the I same think, time. Yeah, I think he's underrated for his comedy. It's really good here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's let's jump into Moon Knight. Um, the comparison I wanted to make to Moon Knight is that I think both Daredevil and Moon Knight are taking kind of smaller known properties, taking these big risks with them, doing really innovative stuff, specifically with the artwork. And I think it just is... Uh, I feel like I actually had like a more succinct point to make. I mean, Moon Knight is the less successful version of this to me, where it's like you're, you're shooting well, for something. Well, sure. Yeah, no, I, I mean, mean, of course. A, like a, nothing. If, yeah. if Daredevil's coming in sea level, my Moon Knight's list i guess but like the the creative vision are you saying the creative vision like no, doug munch so I, and uh I and think, bill sinkevich you're saying compared to miller's yeah i i think that they have as lofty ideas here and i really respect that but the execution just isn't here um but what's interesting is like watching sinkevich progress throughout moon knight because like he started out being like kind of a standard artist with with his flourishes like he had some really interesting panel layouts and stuff and then it's just like Issue by issue, he's getting a little scratchier and a little messier and a little like that kind of looser, uh, muddy almost style that he has. That that is good. Like I'm not that that's not a criticism. Yeah, he he 100 builds his way to the yeah. artist he's going to become. That abstraction and it's really fun to see. I I would definitely push back on the idea that this Moon Knight run is not executed as strongly. I. I don't like it quite as much as Daredevil, which obviously we've declared the top to bottom strongest like year we've seen of comics. But these Moon Knight comics are really damn good. It's Moon Knight two, hmm. 22 to 25. These issues in particular, you know, if you if you read the run, I think because you see Sinkevich just working into this like style where you don't know what you're going to get from page to page in yep. the best way, where like every flip you're like, ooh, could this be like an absolutely incredible layout and, you know, vision for what comics can be like it. Every page has that potential. Um, and it's very cool. I, I, I think one of the like things that sets a, Moon Knight back the is the antagonists of... aren't as strong, at least until 24 and 25, which is Scarlet, which is like arguably a better version of the Punisher story we see. 
You yeah. could put those two like stories right next to yeah. each other. That's Moon Knight good. and Scarlet versus Daredevil and the Punisher. And if if you came down Moon Knight and Scarlet, which I maybe I enjoyed more this time because I hadn't read those before as thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I, I honestly think they're just as good with like just as interesting ideas. Yeah, Scarlet. Uh, Scarlet's a great version of the Punisher in a more interesting um, like look at that thing of like should I be stopping somebody who's you know they're killing but they're killing clearly evil people who are doing bad in this world right like is that my which response? is not a topic that was beaten to death yet in, Punisher, <laughs> in 1982 yeah. it has become that in yeah. in comics today obviously you said like well I turn the page and see this like you know knockout panel layout I'd say like yeah sometimes you do and sometimes it's a muddy mess that is unreadable and hard to look at like I think a fair amount of these pages. Oh, I don't think it's of, ever a mess. Yeah, I, no, I, 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 I think there are. There's like a lot of pages here that I were just like, it's just like, this isn't attractive. Like, this is kind of tough to read at a glance. It doesn't hang together whatsoever. And uh, I mean, the, the coloring is trying. I feel like the colorist has a hard time here. Um, I felt sympathy for this colorist trying to like take these big sprawling Bill Sienkiewicz inked things because he inks his own work and then like apply color them to delineate some of the uh, some of the details here. Yeah, I can see the argument that, you know, because, like, so, like, the cool thing about Sienkiewicz is he swings for the fences, yeah, you know, sure. with these abstractions, yeah. and he's he's in that territory in these Moon Knight issues where he's like, yeah, I'm going to take huge gambles. And it definitely, I can see many, many readers coming down on when it doesn't work, it's, it's yeah, genuinely hard to read. I just always appreciate the ambition so much, yeah, for you sure. know, and just, like, this is so different yeah. than the stock and trade you know, like, oh, just good, clean. Well, that's what I'm saying work. about like watching Bill Sienkiewicz progress. Like, I feel like he is his abstraction is building and building. I feel like it's going to get he's going to get too abstract and too messy before he kind of learns how to rein it in and find that like sweet spot where these oh, panels no. become. <laughs> I totally disagree. You don't think like he gets new, he gets cra- he gets wilder and wilder. But I but New Mutants goes. just like in my, in my recollection, New Mutants new has mutants New Mutants works. has way wilder stuff. Way it more has wilder, stuff. but it, I think it like is more successful. I it it might be better. At I don't I don't know what it's better at then like at at a comprehensive store at a uh, cohesive story I guess like what's the what's the argument against it I mean I definitely like the stuff he's going to do in New Mutants yeah a little bit more than this I like the stuff that he's going to do in Daredevil Love and War and Electro Assassin a little bit more than this but I don't think you could argue that they're more structurally like linear or easier to comprehend I think they're actually the opposite. Hmm. Yeah, no, it gets I, more I, abstract, I think, and actually weirder. And in many ways, it definitely gets I think weirder. That becomes part no, of the, I, I think part gets, of the joy of it. It does get weirder. His new mutant stuff, but I think it becomes also more successful at um, at just like expressing. It feels like he he becomes more successful at expressing what he's actually trying to get at. Because there are panels here where I feel like the actual like you know the the story is being lost behind the 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 artwork and you're not getting like See, I would say with Moon Knight, yeah. I so rarely felt that because it's it's used so much more sparingly. You know, cuz there are many like the majority of the book, even in this era where he's progressing more, um the majority of the book is still like a pretty clear superhero comic. Yeah, it is. You I know, actually like, think that kind of holds out. it back to a degree. I you wish like, it. I I wish it was all like that. I wish yeah. it was all that wild abstraction, which yeah. I think is what he. Maybe it is. Maybe it's that dichotomy of like the artist you want to be versus still that sort of superhero hostile. Yeah. As a as a way to just get the well, comic I, I done. Mean, I feel like we saw the same thing with Miller. Where like the first you know two five issues of Daredevil were good, 
but it like we watched him build to what he did this year right like he took yeah. a little while he got his feet under him and i feel like sinkevitz as an artist is just because i mean i adore sinkevitz's later work there's stuff i mean we talked about his work even in the 2000s in the ultimate that ultimate punisher stuff it's just right. incredible it's really cool um well i think you also it's important too with with these artists who do spectacular things to i i do this myself we get in the habit of like well that this page isn't a stone cold poster on my wall knockout so <laughs> it's a letdown you know yeah whereas i think like the reality is like there's still not every page needs to be that and actually that is probably to the um to the detriment of a story if an artist is swinging too hard for yeah. the fences like yeah, yeah. that you know so there, there's a balance for sure i just um, know that, I, it'll like, be interesting to see as we progress <laughs> when i flip that, to we see that when I flipped to issue 25 and I saw that it was a double-sized issue, I was like, oh, okay, all right. I, you know what, also... Not well, I kind of just didn't want to Kevitz. read that much Moon Knight. I don't think that's all on the yeah. art. Yeah, no, uh, I think, actually, a lot of this is on Doug Mensch's... Um, what a Mensch, by the way. Doug Mensch's dialogue. I think his actual dialogue <laughs> is a little clunky and, uh, like, pretty generic, and there's a lot of it. Because um, I think I think, I think his, his concepts... captions are a lot better than his dialogue yeah yeah i actually agree with that yeah but his dialogue feels very like stock standard superhero banter in a lot of ways i you know i kind of just feel like he's not i don't know i don't not sure what it is like he doesn't seem equipped for this kind of like big lofty stuff right like i feel like the the more down-to-earth moon knight stuff works better than the like big trippy you know like almost sand i mean literally sandman morpheus stuff um some i liked um well like i definitely feel like he i would have agree the with poetic you poetic flourish for that where he could tell like in masters of kung fu i feel like he's more successful at just the kind of like very i don't know slightly more realistic down to earth like humans speaking to each other rather than these there's there's some really good sort of that poetic caption style writing that he does in these pages i mean i for my personal taste i definitely preferred like you're saying that sort of grim and gritty crime yeah yeah, yeah. Moon Knight That's versus Scarlet like thing, which successful. is basically just writing the DC's Huntress as the Punisher years before the Huntress ever comes <laughs> yeah, onto right. the scene. Yes. You know, it's an it's an older woman. Um, she was a mom. Her son was killed, and she's out hunting the criminals who were, she deems responsible. And she does so with a crossbow. She used to be a nun, so let's throw that on top of things with the whole religious sure, angle. Yeah. Um, so it's you know it's all crime based, and that issue I think is phenomenal. That's twenty four, I believe, is where it yeah, begins. Yeah, that, that's the standard. Whereas the Morpheus Sandman stuff is very supernatural, and and Moon Knight in those spaces, he's there a lot. Um, but those, I I just. I you know I, I think you I don't really want to say I don't like him as much because it can be good. You could really negatively compare that to um, Proteus in the X Men with his like trippy dream sequences, the way that John yeah, Byrne was writing yeah. them, where you still feel like carried along through this weirdness, and you're like you're grounded with the character's experience of this. And I think sometimes it's successful because Moonlight starts like dreaming basically, and all of a sudden reality melts around him. Sometimes that worked in these comics. I think in the first issue, twenty two more, but like. There were times where it just turned into like three or four pages of such abstract dreaminess that I completely lost all sense of what's happening to the characters. And it just felt completely, I don't know, like disconnected from any threat or stakes. There's there's too much in these issues where I'm flipping. We, yeah, we get to that point of action and I, I've got a grounding on what's happening in the comic. Yep. And I'm just flipping looking for the Sinkevich art. And trying to feel out what here is special and what is good, but I'm just I, the story. I'm just like, actually, I don't really want to read a majority of this yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because I know where we're going, and this isn't adding anything. Yeah. Whereas I do think, you know, that in in Scarlet, I didn't feel that way. I think that one, I was actually involved. I do think too, like I do think there's good characterization 
of of Moon Knight and his world, right? Like his his split personality thing is interesting. He's got increasingly like... problem sized uh, issues with uh, Marlene, his girlfriend. Um, yeah. I like the even like the the supporting characters like this. Um, I don't know exactly what it is. Frenchy. I think he's homeless man in a bar. Uh, no, he's this homeless guy in a diner who speaks very eloquently using like you know. Um, uh, Hank McCoy sized vocabulary like mm-hmm. it's yeah uh, the characterization is good um but it's it's I don't know there is something about the stories I you I know actually I, I don't want to talk about it too much because my... I really like 24 and 25 yeah a lot yeah, yeah uh well I don't which one's 20 yeah 25 so 25 bit, is basically um anti Moon Knight versus Pete Buttigieg <laughs> oh please explain it. that for me <laughs> I missed. I missed. <laughs> just because I it's know. a young politician, and it, every time I saw the artist rendering, I was kind of like, "Oh, that's probably the closest uh, politician <laughs> running here." Um, okay. The uh, oh. hey, I like it though. Yeah, yeah. So it's you know, it's about a um, it's a return from Vietnam. I don't want to say war hero, a veteran. That's what I was looking for. And uh, basically, their dad used to have power, so the you know mafiosos in the city decide he's going to be mayor. Basically, and this individual is going to run for mayor. They've got a political campaign, but he's also on the side. This new villain is the Black Specter, and he beats the heck out of Moon Knight. But he also Moon Knight then seeks to prove, hey, the guy running for mayor yeah. is a literal supervillain. Which I feel like, heavy handed as it may be, has like you know major relevant political overtones that you could easily apply to this. Um, I think for that reason, it's a pretty effective comic. It again, it is that thing where it's like this is thirty nine pages uh, of of this Moon Knight series. That's a tall order, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I that's true for a lot. That's true for most books. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I just think uh, I, I I kind of actually disagree that I think the characterization works. This is where it, like it kind of fell apart for me generally because I really like the concept of this initially when we read some of these last year or a couple of years ago. Um. I like that, and I like the the whole concept of this. It partially might be because we haven't been reading these, right? So it might it might be a little bit of like I'm jumping in to five issues, you know, twenty issues in, and I haven't been reading along. So like he's kind of assuming you are familiar with these characters at a level I'm not. So I, I, I mean that might be a, so, a weakness in right? my reading. Um, but yeah, I, I felt like the uh, the writing of the characters was a little weak, and also like Frenchie with the whole like you know him just being like Zutalos, like that that that. I didn't didn't like Frenchie. Yeah, that's kind of that is kind of bronzy. It feels weirdly kind of out of place of in an this older comic. time. Like it, it feels like a very weird, like slapsticky sense of humor put into this very kind of serious comic. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I do think in terms of comparisons, definitely Moon Knight can always kind of be compared to Daredevil because they, they occupy I feel a similar like I territory. Had, like, I, my, my comparison to Daredevil just basically came down to like, yeah, it's not as good, but I, I feel like I actually had a real point to make about that and I forgot what it was. I think so, you often feel that way. And then right, as listeners, we're all like, did you? Did you though? Mm, I and I think points. we all know the answer. Yeah, I make good <laughs> points though. Uh, yeah. Moon Knight is definitely not, it, it, he's just not a character who I've ever liked as much. I like his design more than Daredevil's. That's always super fun. Yeah, his um, but great. I, I, I do think the the antagonists really become a problem because in Daredevil, when we cut to Kingpin, when we cut to Bullseye, when we cut to Elektra, it's just this whole world of of super sized Marvel sized criminality that I love. And and as it's as it evolves, you know, in the Miller Jansen pages, it's like. Everything, and then you bring the Punisher into it, and it just makes sense. Whereas Moon Knight, it's like he doesn't get to play with the big boys. You know, it's all these like like characters that may or may not ever show up again. Like they're just there aren't yeah. familiar names at all. Like it almost yeah. feels like a creator own book. Um, honestly, like it almost fit better in that context. They just don't 
I, for a lot of people, that might be the appeal, frankly, is like, oh, yeah, it just exists by itself, and you can read it, and it's awesome. Um, yep. But for me, yep. I actually like Marvel Universe connections here and there, you know? I don't I don't think it's like I actually kind of feel like we could have gotten a couple more little winks to the wider universe in Daredevil. Like, I mean, I, I think he could have been successful at, at folding those in once in a while. Oh, we did get, there was an Iron Fist and uh, Power Man issue that was quite fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's how the run, that's how the the year starts actually. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's real good. And it is. It's interesting too to like. I think of Matt and Danny and Luke kind of having a you know like a connection. Um, but this is like the first time they meet, kind of thing. So Daredevil and Iron Fist are like, who's gonna win in a a straight up you know martial arts battle and that sort of thing. So it's it's fun to see those characters interact for the first time. For sure. Yep. Uh, so yeah, so good uh, good round of comics. We got another good. Uh, part three because we're doing. I mean, I will. I will say right now, this is 1982 is the best year of comics we've read on my marvelous year. I well, don't let's know see, because I maybe 66 comes closest. I remember. I guess not liking the Brood Saga at all when I read it the first time. Well, you're so. well, you're so yeah. Next up on my marvelous year, yep. we got Wolverine one to four, Claremont and Frank X-Men, Miller. Yep. We got Uncanny X Men 160, 164. Now the Brood Saga is only a part of that. Yep. There's more to the to those issues than than just that okay. so we shall see how you feel about that and then we got a bunch of john bernie fantastic four so i this is like this is a knockout year is like, this of, the, of the trial stuff i don't think so off the top of my head i haven't read it yet okay um so i don't remember okay um, keeping it a secret for myself yeah. let's see in 66 we had if this be my destiny mm-hmm. fantastic four through the coming of galactus and then a fair oh the first appearance of the cosmic cube Oh, and then Amazing 39 and 40, Green Goblin's Identity Revealed, plus Thor vs. Ego. That 66 <sighs> yeah, I is mean, a stunner. It's it, a stunner. That, yeah, that's a crazy year for, like, big moments. I, I mean, the thing is, it's hard to judge because it's like, those might all be great big moments that are kind of cl- comic classics, but I didn't enjoy any of those like I did Daredevil, right? <laughs> like, none of those made me, like, continually just, like... Oh, say, yeah, it's a different It's a different yeah, thing. I mean, yeah, it is that thing of, of Frank Miller's Daredevil feels like reading a modern comic. Yeah. And it's going to feel that way to to younger folks. Yeah. Oh, I mean, Black <laughs> Panther... In the way the Silver Age books Black just Panther can't. Black Panther was uh, introduced in 66. Those Fantastic Four issues are great. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Oh, this man, this monster? It, I think yeah. you got to give the nod to 66. But who's asking? Nobody, except yeah. me. Well, I, I don't know, Coming though, because 1982, I mean, New Mutants, God Loves, Man Kills, right? Like, those are big deals, right? Yeah. I, I think that's it, though. I think it's like New Mutants, God Loves, Man Kills, and Daredevil are the very strong, like, standouts from this year. I mean, nothing stops the juggernaut. I I, th- I mean, I love those. There's comics, less, but I don't there's think those less like filler on classic. this list than yeah, anything true. we've read. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So far, like, Moon Knight, oh, well, the contest. The contest is definitely some filler. And Moon Knight, kind of. But Moon Knight's like the, the contest is the only one that is this. This needs to be here because it's a thing that happened that is kind of important. Yeah, sure. not because these are comics I recommend. Yeah, yeah. I, I recommend Moon Knight. Uh, I rec- I'll recommend twenty four and twenty five to anybody. Yeah, anybody. I'd I say twenty four. Twenty four. Um, wow, not a Pete supporter. All next right. year, big big dig at Black Spectre, aka Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> okay, you heard it here first. Oh God, can I just? I just need to put this out here on the podcast. I've made some bad Michael Bloomberg jokes on this podcast, saying that I'm a Bloomberg boy. That was well before he seemed like any kind of serious threat, or was revealed to me to be the monster that he is. So I just want to apologize. I feel like those jokes... No, it's okay. It's okay. Have, you were uh, a big aged, Bloomberg boy, you know. and you've you've learned some things, and now you're just a little Bloomberg boy. Yeah, that, those, just a, those just jokes a little boy. aged like milk. It was like 
three weeks after I made those jokes, it was like <gasps> it was sour milk when I when it went down. Yeah, um, yeah. and then it curdled and, and it just kept curdling. I mean, the joke was and that I, like, I had to ask, why he, are we still he drinking was this? Spending money and had no shot <laughs> doing it. It was just such like a ridiculous. You know who would have been a funnier pick? Hmm. Tom Steyer. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I was, <laughs> the, it was trying to the make the other it billionaire that. that nobody knows is in the race. Exactly. I was trying to make that kind of vein of a joke. All right. So next time on eighty. 80- Two part three, we mm-hmm. will talk about other jokes Jack Zach wishes he could take back. Oh, yeah. And we will also review Wolverine 1 to 4, Uncanny X Men 160 to 164, and Fantastic Four 240, and then 242 to 247. You can find all of the comics we're going to read in the reading list in the show notes. You can find them also on patreon.com slash my marvelous year. I'm Dave. You can find my stuff at Comic Book Herald. 1983. Looks uh-huh. like you have this divided up into four episodes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So the episode amount, the parts will be expanding. I, 83. We haven't talked about this. Maybe fourth. we can do it right now. If we start doing four episodes, do we want to start doing part one, part two, a variant cover, part three, part four, a variant cover? Mm. If nothing else. That could make sense. Yeah, we could we could do a variant cover after after two. Let's keep, yeah, let's keep that pace. Idea. That yeah, makes yeah. sense. Maybe not okay. for 82, but probably will be. Whatever. No, no, not yeah. not for eighty two. Not general when we have idea. Three, but if we have four, we can split it up and do two a variant, two, and then what if we variant. have five? What's going to happen? Ooh, we either do two or three, and then a variant, and then three or two, and then a variant. Is it going to get into some uncomfortable math territory? I don't I'm think nervous. so. I just figured it out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I I'm just did have to Think about this overnight. It's going to take <laughs> me a don't, long don't time. Don't lose any sleep. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna be up all night. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you. This is my marvelous year. And anything else you want to plug? Thanks to Zashpiece for the music. As always, it was great. (laughs) He did. He did good. (laughs) If you forget to say that one time, he will sue us. Do you think? Yeah, for sure. Do you think there's any chance he's listened to an episode? No, absolutely not. (laughs) Right? No, for sure not. I would say very low odds. He just took the money and ran. Good for him. We will see you next year. See you next year.